Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. Today I have a Mr. Ken Scott, the original and best Raphael. Ken, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Julian. Good to be here with you, man. Man, I got to say, uh, Raphael was my guy. We had a little bit of a talk before we hit record, but Raphael has always been my guy. It was that scene, um, him coming out of the uh, the movie theater in Critters where he's like, where do they come up with this stuff, right? That, that scene alone is the entire reason I love this character. He was that guy that just didn't give a shit, said whatever was on his mind. Um, and come to find out when I'm reading your book, The Real Raphael, um, you can find that on turtleconfessions.com. Can you tell us a little bit more before we get started on that, just so we can preface all of our listeners with Turtle Confessions as well as The Real Raphael? Yeah, basically, I played Raphael in the first two Ninja Turtle movies. I was the stunt performer in the first movie, and I was the actor that played Raphael in the second movie. Josh Pace was the actor in the first movie, and I did his action in fighting for him. Well, doing that was the culmination of a lifelong dream. I captured what that was like in this book, Teenage Ninja to Mutant Turtle, because I went from being this karate kid who wanted to break into the movies to doing that. And so I have this book, Teenage Ninja to Mutant Turtle, and it tells the story about how I became Raphael and all these super, what I think are super fun, super cool stories about what went on behind the scenes of making those movies. And so, yeah, the book's out. There's a website called turtleconfessions.com. People can check it out or see anything else they want about behind the scenes stuff. But that's basically, you know, my deal. I mean, in a nutshell, I got to say, did you write this 100%? Did you have anybody coming in and, you know, showing you? Like little tips no, this, no, this was, you know, I originally wanted to hire a ghostwriter because I was just being lazy. And so I, <laughs> so, so I called a good friend of mine, uh, Rick Myers, who's probably the most preeminent authority on Kung Fu movies in the world. You can see him. He runs a, the longest running panel at Comic-Con in San Diego. But I called Rick Myers. He's an author. And I, I was like, hey, Rick, you know, let's do this thing. Like, you, I'll tell you all my stories and you write it. He was the very first guy who ever interviewed me for a magazine during the very first Ninja Turtle movie. Yeah. So anyway, he goes, ah, Ken, I don't have time. I'm ghostwriting for some other famous people and this and that. He goes, but you can hire somebody to do it. And it'll be like 10,000 bucks. And I was like, well, I don't want to spend $10,000. I was like, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm a writer. I, I've been writing screenplays and I write for a living. It's what I do in advertising and all this. So I asked Rick, I said, how many words does a book have to be? And he said, a legitimate book's about 50,000 words. So I said, okay, let me see what I can do. So I just set out and I tried to write like 500 words a day or a thousand words a day or something. Ultimately, I got up to 88,000 words. Then I had some friends read it, edited it down, got it down to about 65,000 words. And that's the book you see today. So I wrote every single word in the book. I've got to say... I was blown away, not only by the stories, and there's one story in particular that I absolutely loved when you had to get back into fighting shape and you were eating fucking bean burritos, guacamole, and a chocolate milkshake. When is the last time you've had that combination? Oh, I'm not going to lie, Julian. I've probably had that combination within the last 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I love junk food, man. I can't. That's a that's a a fault of mine. I'd be in much better shape if I didn't love crappy food. So when I was overweight and I was trying to get in shape to follow my action hero dreams, all I thought was, well, I'll just eat less of it. So I had a bean burrito from Taco Bell, just one bean burrito and one small chocolate shake from Swenson's ice cream. And that was it. I mean, that's, you know, that's less than 500 calories a day. And I did that for several weeks. So it wasn't good for me, but man, I lost weight. And that was the first time in my life I could see my abs. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. And then so, yeah. And, and then and then I got educated. After that, I got, I got super educated about working out and fitness and nutrition and all that stuff. And then I kind of built my body, you know, hopefully the right way after that. 
how bad did you feel? I mean, I can only imagine how nasty those farts were because I'm a Navy guy. And then whenever we would deploy, um, that's when everybody just started chugging protein and amino acid this and just whatever they could possibly buy from GNC. And that shit alone is enough to gas out any <laughs> sailor, Marine, whatever, whatever is in our birthing in that time. I can only imagine just how wrecked was your body doing that? Oh, well, like I said, I, basically I was just starving my body at that point. So I had just let myself get chubby from drinking beer and it, it sidetracked me on my desire to become an action hero. It was all, it was all working out, but then I just looked in the mirror one day and I was like, my God, I looked like Elvis before he died. <laughs> and it was just partying for in college with pizza and beers. And so, you know, basically I just kind of went into starvation mode, which isn't really good. So I wasn't putting a lot of protein powders or anything in my body and creating that situation that your Navy boys enjoyed so much. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, it felt good. I was hungry. I was freaking hungry all because that's all I could think about was wanting to eat. But to be honest, I felt great. I mean, I lost a lot of body fat and I was exercising every day. So it was really, uh, I, I felt good, actually. It was, a, it was like a phoenix rebirthing. That's fantastic, man. Being a chubby guy, I've never seen a ab, let alone abs, um, <laughs> multiple, right? Um, so how, how nice was it walking by that mirror and you're like, oh, shit, daddy's got some abs today. How, how often were you at the beach just shirtless, just walking around, hoping somebody was looking at your abs? Well, you know, <laughs> I tried not to think about it too much, but we all think about it all the time. So I got really good at holding it in, too. To look like I had the right shape. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Uh, there's so many little stories throughout this uh, throughout this book that I absolutely loved, and and one of them was I didn't know you were the fellow chucker until I read this book. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, I got started as a I was hired to be an extra on the movie. Uh, like I was one of hundreds of karate guys that auditioned just to be the foot clan in the movie. And um, I was lucky enough to be selected to be one of those guys. I was training real hard. And uh, Pat Johnson, the famous stunt coordinator from Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, he also appears in the original Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. There's a bit part in that where he, um, he comes out and he beats up um, John, who's the guy that just passed away? From, oh, uh, uh, John, John, not John Aston, but... Uh, I'm gonna go oh, forgive, forgive me, forget John Saxon. Yeah. Oh, okay, John Saxon. Anyway, so we're auditioning for Pat Johnson, and I'm doing all my karate stuff. I've been working out my whole life, getting ready for this moment. And I got lucky enough to be selected to be one of the foot soldiers. So I was, I was one of like uh, 20 different guys that were foot soldiers that were being used in all the different scenes. But I could do nunchucks real good. I'd been doing them since I was 13 years old. And Pat Johnson had seen me doing the nunchucks, and he's like, Hey, Ken, we got this one moment in the script and we need somebody to do it. So, you know, you come do it. And I actually had to audition. They got another guy who was good at nunchucks and we basically had like a nunchuck off and the producer <laughs> came in and the producer and watched that guy. And then they watched me. And then when it was over, the producer was like, okay, use him. Yeah. And they chose me. So in that scene, when all the foot soldiers break into April O'Neil's apartment and Michelangelo goes, oh, a fellow chucker, eh? I'm the guy in black doing the nunchucks against Michelangelo. And man, that was so much fun. Because for me, that was the first time in my life where like the camera was a, a real movie camera making a real Hollywood movie was turned just on me. It, it wasn't because I was fighting a turtle. It was me. I was the guy in the middle doing the thing. So the director was like, Ken, are you ready? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I'm like, <laughs> So the super cool stuff was happening. I had this dream to become work in the movies. Here I was being an extra. Now I'm featured in front of the camera and I get to be the super cool ninja. So yeah, throughout that fight, because we're all wearing masks, all the different foot performers are over and over and over again because it just looks like a hundred guys are coming in. Yeah. So throughout that scene, Raphael is unconscious. He's not participating in the fight. At the same time, I'm one of the foot soldiers and I'm everywhere. I'm crashing through the skylight and swinging through the windows and chasing the guys with the battle axe and calling for the axes. So yeah, my first job was actually being a foot soldier on the Ninja Turtle movies. My first job out of college was being a ninja. <laughs> it's funny you bring up martial art. I've got a 10-year-old boy uh, and then he's been doing karate and 
I don't know if it's serendipity or whatever, but he he decided to do karate because of Ninja Turtles. And his Ninja Turtles isn't my Ninja Turtles. It's not these these outstanding Jim Henson production guys right here um, from that 90s movies. His was the 2012 series. And we were watching it, and then he started doing the moves. And then he had a friend named Zen that was into karate already. He was a junior black belt at that point. And he was like, I think I want to do this. And he does Kenpo now, and he just started weapons class not too long ago. So he's been doing uh, bow staff stuff. And when I told him who I was talking to, he always asked me whenever I have somebody on, he's like, who are you talking to today? And I tell him, he's like, well, who's that? And I was like, well, he played Raphael in the first one. He's like, oh man, was he a real martial artist? I'm like, absolutely. And he was like, can you ask him a question for me? I'm like, absolutely. What'd you like to know? And he was like, what would, what advice would you give somebody in martial arts that wants to take it further than just class to class? He wants to end up teaching it one day. Well, there's so much you can do, you know, being a, first of all, Kempo is an awesome art to study. So that's great. Um, martial arts is called arts for a reason because you, to participate in it, you have to participate like an artist. Mm -hmm. You can just do, anybody can go to the store and buy paints and, and just put paint on a thing and go, oh, I'm a painter. Yeah. Well, okay, sure, you're a painter but you can also study art and look at other art and practice and try new things and go look at, ask other people who paint, hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? So all the things that it takes to be a good artist are the same things that it takes to be a good martial artist. Mm -hmm. Like Musashi said, be acquainted with all arts. Yeah. Once you understand what it takes to be an artist, you can understand how to apply yourself to that. So. First of all, as any basic martial artist, you should always learn one system all the way to black belt level and have a great understanding of one system superior. Once you have a system that you can base things off of, then you branch out and you start bending and breaking your original system mm -hmm. based on what you learn. But in order to do that as well, you can't put it outside of yourself and go, well, I don't have a teacher. I don't have this. You need to read books on martial arts. You need to study other martial arts as much as you can. Talk to other people, watch other things on YouTube. You can, you can type up Kempo techniques, Kung Fu techniques, this and that. Watch them, learn them all and see how they learn. And like Bruce Lee, you will learn what's appropriate for you and discard the rest because your art is your art. As an artist, you don't do Taekwondo just like a painter doesn't do watercolors. Yeah. It just so happens that they use watercolors to create their art. So whatever your thing is that you do, you've just got to make it all your own with everything you've got. I mean, what did Bruce Lee say? He was be water, my friend, right? So uh, you, you mentioned and you brought up that you wanted to be you know, the next action hero. You want to be the next action movie star. And you brought up names like Arnold and Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bruce Lee. Um, what was your introduction into the action? What was your first action movie, I guess, is what I'm asking you. Man, boy, my first action movie was probably, that I can remember was maybe, so it's going to be either an early Chuck Norris movie. This is in a movie theater. Like, mm -hmm. Kung Fu movies were probably on TV and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but in the movie theaters... Outside, like James Bond, of course, was something that was present out there. But seeing James Ryan and Kill or Be Killed and then Chuck Norris in like, it, it was probably before A Force of One, probably Good Guys Wear Black or mm -hmm. something like that. So sometime around there, that was my first introduction. But what I really cut my teeth on was like the canon movies, Enter yeah. the Ninja, uh, uh, Return of the Ninja, all the Shokasugi movies. Um, then uh, Steven Seagal, I mean, oh, above, the law, above the law is an awesome movie, man, no matter what. It's, great. it's a great movie. Even Jeff Speakman, his first movie, the way he introduced Kenpo, what a great and fun, entertaining movie that is. So that and then Jean-Claude coming out of Bloodsport at the same time that Arnold was making Commando mm -hmm. and all these hardcore, and Sylvester Stallone was there. I was, uh, I mean, all that was going on at the time. So it was all that. 80s muscle guns fighting that, that got me going. Now I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you if you had to pick a Mount Rushmore of action movie stars in order, 
Who would be one, two, three, and four? Oh, that's too many. I couldn't say one, two, three, four, and commit. I wouldn't want to disrespect anybody like that. But if I was going to put some, I'll say who might be in there. Okay, that'll work. Errol Flynn would be in there. Arnold Schwarzenegger would be in there. Um, Bruce Lee is in there. Um, gosh, there's definitely more and they're just eluding me because I don't want to leave anybody. I mean, certainly I have so much respect for Jet Li and Jackie Chan. Yeah, I feel like Jackie, either one of those guys could be in there. Jackie maybe more just because of his, I don't know. Um, Jackie, well, there you go. There's a few. Jackie, for sure. He was he wasn't my first action movie star, but he was my first kung fu movie, karate movie, martial arts movie, I guess is really what I'm getting at at the heart of it. He was my guy and he's always been my guy. And I've gotten so much flack because everybody's like, no, Bruce would have destroyed him. And I'm like, 100 percent. But when I look at movies, I want to have a good time. I want to laugh. I want to have fun. And then when I found out, you know, uh, Rumble in the Bronx is the first action movie I ever remember seeing. Um, my stepdad at the time, he had this huge wall, like I've got all these toys and shit. He had this huge wall of just VHSs, boys and girls, VHSs was a tape you'd put in, you'd have to rewind it just so you could see it. It wasn't streaming or anything like that. We're dating ourselves at this point, but that's neither here nor there. But he had these huge just, and it was all action movies from Chuck Norris. That was my first, my, my first Steven Seagal movie, Above the Law. Um, and I got so much shit for liking Steven Seagal. Um, I don't know why. I, I think he's a fantastic, you know, martial artist as well as a fantastic. Those movies were great. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Um, but yeah, he had a couple of movies that were really good. Under Siege was really good. Mm -hmm. Above the Law was just a great start. Above the Law launched him because it was good. It was a Clint Eastwood with martial arts in it. And then Out for Justice was another fantastic one. Um, I would love to see, I mean, he does some weird shit now. I would love to see Steven Seagal come back and then out for justice too, but he's something like a police chief, I guess, chief Stearns, if you will, since we're talking turtles. Um, but that's neither here nor there, man. Uh, I really like, you know, being brought down memory lane, reading your book and hearing all of these movie stars that had an influence on you. And one guy that you brought up that seems like he had a huge impact because he helped you not only get your foot in the door, but become what you wanted to be. You wanted to be an actor. And that was Pat Johnson, who we, we you just spoke about and mentioned before. Um, this dude, one is a fucking badass. Looking at all of his stuff, that all of his accomplishments that he's done, from teaching Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio how to not look, you know, bad, right? And then I believe he was the judge in the end of Karate Kid, right? He was Johnny Lawrence and Daniel Larusso. He was, he was the, the referee at the end. Good yeah. sensei. Yeah, yeah. It just, just. I mean, looking at that dude, he was terrifying to look at, right? He just looked like nobody would fuck with him, right? What were some of the things, and you brought them up in the book, but what were some of the things that you held on the most that you learned from Pat? Don't be late. <laughs> and, and Seriously, man, Pat Johnson was a super intimidating guy. He was probably, and I don't want to undershoot him, I'm going to say he was 5'6", mm -hmm. maybe. And, but Bill, I mean, he was, if there was a, a Disney cartoon, he would be the little bulldog that protects all the pack that walks around. He's just this he's muscly, hairy chested little guy. He like a great shape. Yeah. He, was in, he was in great shape. He used to practice boxing and hit pads. He always wore these tiny little jogging shorts and a fanny pack and his track shoes. And he hit, put on big boxing gloves and hit pads every day. And man, that guy was, he was very much in charge. He was an old school 60s, 70s black belt from the Chuck Norris Tong Sudo system, that family. Yeah. And um, he originally ran Chuck Norris's original Sherman Oaks Karate School. Mm -hmm. So he was the real deal. And um, just, you know, then you just know him from Karate Kid and everything. Yeah. But when we started working for him, he was first thing he was like, if you show up one minute late, you are late. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that does not exist in my world. He goes, if you, I will tell you you're late once. And if you're late again, you won't have the opportunity to be late anymore because you won't be working. So it was, don't be late. The second thing was work hard, keep your nose down, all this kind of stuff. Pat Johnson was a great mentor to a lot of the guys. And we were very much like a father figure on the movie. We all loved him dearly, still do. Yeah. Um, 
for me, I mean, for a long time, I would call Pat every Father's Day and mm -hmm. we got to go to his house and visit with him and all that. Um, but he was, uh, you know, he had more to offer than I could take advantage of at the time because yeah. I was so young and stupid. And had I really been more mature and understood what was happening, I probably could have even benefited more. And I don't mean benefited commercially or financially, selfishly. Yeah. I mean, in life evolution yeah. by being around this guy, regardless, just by being around him, man, he had a crazy work ethic. He was determined. He was respected. He taught you how to show respect and be respectful. So coming out of college and my first job being a ninja under Pat Johnson, it all sort of made it like a real, I, I don't want to say it was the army because it was nowhere near like being in the friggin' army, but it was just this like boot camp of movie making, being in the stunt world and manhood. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did fantastic. Like I'm a hundred percent biased when it comes to this movie, but from the way it was shot to the way it was acted to the stunts. And I don't know if it's just that in 2020 or the past 15 years, when it comes to movie making that it, this movie still seems real, right? The, the characters that you guys portrayed, you guys took a character that was two-dimensional when Kevin and Peter created these guys in 84. And then 87, it was still two-dimensional, but with actors like Renee, Renee Jacobs and Rob Paulson and Townsend and all these guys, they made him three-dimensional, three-dimensional, excuse me. And then you guys get it. And then you guys knock it out of the fucking park, man. This, this, movie, this movie is so beautiful is what I'm getting at. Um, what would it be a normal day before you started putting on the suit for Raphael? What was like a normal day? Like you'd get to set and then would you guys instantly just start working out or would you rehearse some of the stunts or what would it look like? Well, it transitioned. We had three weeks of, and I'm, I'm vaguely remembering these numbers. Oh, we had three weeks of rehearsal and then nine weeks of shooting. Mm -hmm. So during the three weeks of rehearsal, we would show up and as the foot soldiers, we all had our own sound stage. That was our foot headquarters. And Pat was in there and we would and they had these long tables of chairs we could sit down and they had all wrestling mats and just different stuff, you just uh, tumbling mats, things around. So um, you just go there in the morning, like you have to be there, I don't know, I'll say seven in the morning, sometimes time would fluctuate. Yeah. And uh, you go in, you get your ninja suit from the wardrobe department. It's all separated. You got to walk through it. Yes, I'm Ken Scott. Blah, blah, blah. Take your bag. You go to headquarters. You put all your stuff on. Uh, you get dressed. And basically, you're hanging out in your foot costume. But like your shirt might be off and certainly the masks are off and you don't have all the pieces on. They're kind of sitting in corners and stuff. And then when it started, we would start by uh, trying to rehearse all the fight scenes. Pat had to get everything choreographed. So every day was going to work, warming up, stretching, getting all the work done and doing choreography. Him taking down scenes, uh, his assistant Barbara writing stuff down. Okay, we're gonna use John in this one and Bill and Tom in this one. Okay, scene number four, let's move on. That was it, every day, choreograph. Okay, do a kick, duck. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Then once we got all the fights choreographed and we knew what was going on, then it led, that led right up to shooting. Once shooting started, if we needed to continue to work on the choreography while we weren't doing anything, that's what we would do. Mm. And sometimes we just hang around and play cards or do or work out or just some guys would sleep. I mean, you just pass the time however you can. We did, I, we had, I had so much fun. I was doing martial arts seminars with guys. I was learning as much as I could. One guy brought a video camera and we were making our own practice Kung Fu movies behind the scenes, just screwing around all the different foot soldiers um, that you can see. I still have some of that video stuff. And so we were just kind of passing the time. Pat Johnson used to do Sudoku. <laughs> he used to sit and just do Sudoku <laughs> and words, I think it was word searches and Sudoku. That's and then like that, like later in life, I learned how great Sudoku is for your mind. And I was like, holy shit, I wish I'd been doing this a long time. I've never done it. At least I don't think I have correctly. Um, I'm a big word search fan. I always, I always ask, uh, you know, whenever, whenever holidays come around, they're like, what can I get you? I was like, I love word search books, man. They're fun. Um, they were the only things in school that I actually got good grades on as sad as that is. Um, because you know, it just highlights some shit and turn it in. We're good to go. Um, but it's, it's weird seeing the dude that taught the karate kid how to be the karate kid is just sitting back doing a little Sudoku, 
doing a little word search. I mean, yeah, but that was also in between hitting the pads for an hour. And yeah. he only, and he only ate one meal a day. It was lunch and he pretty much ate whatever he wanted. He would have dessert every day, but that was it. He was an intermittent faster before anybody else was calling it intermittent fasting. That's he a fantastic thing to do. Yep. He worked out. And then in addition to hitting pads and stuff, we all used to, we all used to work out. Pat would work out with us. Like it was me, Pat, Dale Sunshine Fry, the world middleweight kickboxing champion, and Billy Lee, who played, who doubled for the shredder. Mm -hmm. And the four or five of us would just work out and do push-ups and dips on chairs. And that was great, man. So it was, how action, many it was action hero camp. <laughs> how with all of these different practices, um, I'm not sure if are you an MMA fan? You like watching the UFC and Bellator and stuff like that? I'm a huge MMA fan. Okay, cool, man. It's going to be really easy and really fun then. Um, I love, like my favorite, even though I can't really do it, I got hurt when I was in the Navy. So I, I got to really watch what I do with my back and everything like that. So, you know, I, I try not to do anything that's super, super crazy. I've got a pretty good idea of what I can and can't do essentially is what I'm saying. Um, but one of my favorite martial arts is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And you mentioning all of these guys, like you had, um, I'm going to, how do you pronounce uh, Pat Johnson's um his uh, school that he was working with. Oh, Tong Sudo. Tong Sudo. And then you had stuff like Kenpo, what my kid is in, and BJJ is probably my favorite one. Then you have kickboxing. Um, would you pick the brain? Because this was before really MMA was looked at in the mainstream, at least 20 years prior, um, give or take a few years, um, before all these different disciplines and practices really started to come into to show on the big stage. Um, what were some of the things that you would pull from kickboxing or from Pat or would techniques or would it be punches or kicks or what did you really look at when you started to mimic or copy? Well, let me come back to that a little bit because I do want to go back and film history and stuff. Actually, the, the first MMA that was kind of happening, I mean, besides Pancration, mm -hmm. back from the early days of the Olympics, the earliest modern day sort of MMA that was happening was shoot fighting. They call it shoot fighting, right? And back in 1992, I think it was, Pat Johnson called me after the Ninja Turtle movies and he said, hey, Ken, I have a job for you. I'd like you to play this role in this movie called Shoot Fighter with William Zabka from Cobra Kai now. Yeah, yeah. And, Mike, and then another guy named Michael Bernardo, but also Bolo Young was in it. And so Pat offered me a part, just a one day part to come in and play a, a shoot fighter who's in a locker room and I get killed by Bob <laughs> Schott, the bad guy in Jim Cotta and Force Five with Joe Lewis. So, so yes, I went and did that, but that whole movie is about MMA style martial arts fighting and this underground thing. Anyway, that's being said, you know, I didn't, when you're going around doing it, as a youth, as a young martial artist, mm -hmm. I competed a lot. I, I, first of all, I took Gojuru karate. I basically I did Miyagi-Do, yeah. Okinawan karate. So I, I came up doing Gojuru karate and I got my black belt in Gojuru. As I was doing that though, I was traveling all up and down the East Coast, going to tournaments and observing and watching other people do other styles and then would start incorporating things that I saw people doing into my martial arts practice. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily know that I was building my art or my system. I was just yeah. doing it because I was like, oh, I think I could do that move yeah. or I could do this or- It looks cool, I'm gonna try it out. Yeah, let me, oh, that guy did this weapon like this. Let me see if I can do the weapon like that. And then I could incorporate it as part of what I was doing. So in addition to doing that, once I moved to Los Angeles, I started studying uh, Chinese Kung Fu, mm -hmm. uh, Tai Chi, a Filipino art, Lima Lama, some American Kempo. So I was really in practice being exposed to a lot of other arts as a student, like one, two, three, I mean, drills, 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 and basics really is where it's at. So what happened was because I already had a high level in Goju-Ru, when I took the other, and I was already becoming a fluid martial artist, building my own art, when I took concepts that I learned from Chinese Kung Fu and applied them to overall what I was doing, a more holistic kind of Taoist approach, it unlocked to me basically 
the universal pattern of Kempo yeah. or something. It just unlocks at some point. And I, I, not that I'm good, I'm gonna get, I can get my ass kicked by anybody. But theoretically, I, I understand the things I want and can and can't do. And I mean, so you just do what you can. So anyway, I, that's a long way to go around that I picked up whatever I could. I picked up hitting pads from Pat Johnson, but I picked up all that I do from everything that I see. That's I've, gone and watch, I've gone and watched praying mantises, you know, because praying mantises do, because that's what supposedly the legend is. They do it. And, and when you're doing Kung Fu and you do animal style Kung Fu, you know, when you're practicing forms, the dragon, the snake, the tiger, anything like that, you're supposed to fill each one of those forms with the spirit of that animal, yeah. because that's going to teach you something and you're going to, it's going to unlock things for you. And that's the same thing that Bruce Lee referred to as filling what you do with emotional content. Mm -hmm. He was trying to describe this Chinese Eastern process that Kung Fu calls like spirit. And then, but he was trying to say, well, don't call it spirit. We'll call it emotional content. So once you start putting that into anything you do, then you can grab anything and try to make it your own. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like seeing like my kids, like I said, he's only been doing it for a year. He just received, uh, he just earned his purple belt. Um, two weeks ago at this point now. And, you know, we tried other sports and by other sports, we tried basketball because that's what I played. And he, he saw what dad did and he's like, I want to do what dad does. And then he just didn't gravitate to it as much as he's done with Kempo karate. And one thing I really love is I love seeing, um, not seeing myself, but seeing him see a problem or see something that he really likes. Like he's really been trying on his ax kicks and he, I, I don't know, is a spinning roundhouse, I think is what he was uh, working on this past weekend with the bow staff and everything like that. Um, but it's really cool seeing him see something that he really, really likes. And then he's like, oh shit, I messed up this time. I messed up this time. I messed up this time. But him progressing, right? Him trying and trying and trying. And when he finally nails it, the little smile he gets on his face is one of the most rewarding things. And it's him getting a move down, but it's me watching a process, me being like a third party or just somebody observing something and then seeing the start, the middle and everything in between. And then that finished product, man. I don't know what it was like for you when you were doing it, but as a father, as a fan, seeing somebody do something like this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, do, do you have kids? I, I don't have kids, but I think that's a beautiful story of you watching your child go through development and learning and being able to see it. Cause you know, now that you can see it, it also could cognitively makes you more aware even of what you're doing, you know? So yeah, that's really great. It, 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 yeah, it is. I don't know what it is like. Uh, whenever we, because he's only done two tournaments so far, and with COVID, it's been you know scaled back considerably. You know, um, they don't have as many participants. So he's participated in two, and he's won first in both. He's got height on his side, um, and he's got that passion, that drive, that he gets that addictive mindset for me. Cause like whenever I get onto something, you know, it's just that's all I can think about. That's all I want to do, right? So it's it's a good thing and a bad thing in a sense, but I haven't seen anything bad come from this. And then ever since he's been doing this, like you've talked about with Pat Johnson, you never wanted to make him upset. He was that father figure. Him telling you he was disappointed in you was more than being pissed or angry or anything anybody else could do. Um, and I didn't really notice that until after I read your book. Um, and then I saw him and then he did something wrong in class and he didn't upset the instructor to a point where you know he was mad but I could tell that he's like, my son looked at him and he looked at him. He's like, I know you could do better. Um, and I know you're not going to be happy with this. And I know I want you to try more. And then him seeing, or me seeing that and then hearing and reading that in your book, I was like, holy shit, is this just a common occurrence when you have a sensei or you have somebody like an instructor or, you know, you just don't want to let these guys down. I see it so much with the martial arts. Right. Well, let me say this, you, uh, you, an instructor shouldn't make a student feel that they're disappointed in them because they're not getting the technique right. That's, that's not where Pat Johnson would show disappointment. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't mean that. It was my kid looks at it and he just doesn't want, he wants to do everything he possibly can to make sure it's perfect because the last thing he wants to do is to let his, one of his mentors or one of his idols just right. down. Right. So that, that's what I really meant by it. Right. No, I, I hear you. No, most definitely, you know, again, when you really are into and martial arts as a part of your life, even if you're young and you just 
believe in it, even if you're limited what you know. Mm -hmm. You revere these people that are the instructors, you know, because they know and they're there and they're and and hopefully they're good. You know, not all martial arts instructors are good, mm -hmm. but they're when you find good ones, they are really good because yeah. martial arts is one of the best things anybody can practice. And those that understand what martial arts is about know what you know, that that's true. So anybody that performs and practices truly martial arts at that level is going to have a lot to offer yeah. and they become, you know, they exude a certain spirit too, just based on what they know and what they can do. And that's part of the beauty of martial arts is the calm spirit that the real martial arts artists that you meet and everything have. They don't, they're, they don't have to prove anything and they're just, they're usually the sweetest, nicest people in the hell. Oh yeah. Because I think there's something great about taking this is an outsider opinion on what I see, but just what I see from friends that fight and friends that do, you know, are in the martial arts. I only took karate for two weeks. I got kicked in the nose, barely. Um, just something just happened. And I instantly saw red and I knew I didn't want to, to, to do this anymore. Cause I just couldn't take getting hit in the nose. I don't know what it was about getting hit in the nose. Just one time I was like, ah, man, I'm done with karate. I'll just stick with basketball. Um, but it's something about that, that killer instinct in you when you know, you're like, oh man, I've been, I've been to war before, right? I know what this is going to happen. And then you leave all of that out there when you're training um, for a tournament or you're training for a movie like you would do. You know, it's, it's something about getting all of that angst or all of that, that, that vitriol out of your system. And then you guys are the calmest and most collective people I've ever met in my life. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing really when you think about it. Well, I, I guess, you know, there's something to be said for that. When you go through, one of the things that's so great about martial arts is the therapy of hitting pads. Mm -hmm. Like even if you go to a Thai gym and you do Muay Thai and you just hit pads, that's one of the benefits of it is you get out aggression and energy. Yeah. And for people who don't do that, what do they do instead? Well, they might turn to eating. They might just sit on the couch. They might go smoke a cigarette. They might do something else. That's the opposite of hitting pads, which is healthy for you and gets your heart strong. And so it builds you up physically while giving a steam valve to your soul. And then when you're dealing with other people, you don't feel the same aggression because it's not pent up. You've gotten the energy out kinetically, you know? So. And it, what's another thing, and I want to segue into the turtles right here because we're, we're running low on time, but you got a character, right? And Raphael that is, the least calm of any turtle ever. I mean, but he, he had probably the most, he was like an onion, if you will. If I could, if I could mimic or, or imitate Shrek here for a second, he had so many layers to that character, to that angst, man. And I don't, I don't know how you felt when you put that helmet on. And I know it was hot in that suit. That question is probably, I think you said in the most asked question, anybody asking, I won't ask you that question. Um, Cause I can only imagine how fucking hot that really was listening to you guys and seeing pictures of you guys just doused in sweat, looking thinner. I mean, right there, you guys all look miserable. We are miserable. <laughs> that's me. But, that's me. That's Ernie Reyes jr. And that's Mo. He's Leonardo. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, thank you for sharing that picture. I really appreciate it. Um, Ernie Reyes fucking amazing. Right. Um, but, uh, when you guys would practice in these suits or you guys would do the stunt choreography, once you got into Raphael, um, would you practice this stuff before putting a suit on or was it a hundred percent you guys practice choreography in the suit for any of your stunts? Um, it was both. You'd walk through it, of course, without the gear on just to be like, all right, what are we going to do? But then it was no use trying to get used to it without the gear on. Cause once you have extra long rubber toes and you can't see and all that kind of stuff, yeah. you really got to get used to that. At the very least, we used to practice with just heads on mm. and without, so you, cause you got to get used to turning and doing the thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. Like uh, I've went and looked up pictures um, when you would say, whenever you would say something in here that I really, really liked in the book, I would highlight it because I knew when I would talk to you, I would want to reference something um, that way I didn't sound like a complete idiot. Um, but when you, when you were doing this, how I'm assuming it was super claustrophobic and we know it was super hot and it was super heavy. What was the scariest stunt I guess you would have to do in a turtle suit, but also as a foot member? The scariest thing you do in, 
Also, is it, what do you mean also, like both or either oh, one? Yeah, but for both. So when you were in the turtle suit, what was the scariest stunt? Uh, and when you were in the foot soldier suits, what was the scariest stunt for you? Well, okay. The, I mean, the funnest, weirdest thing to do is just rolling over the taxi cab yeah. in, in New York. But, but the truly scariest thing I did was I thought I was going to get hit by a train yeah. when we were working <laughs> in the subway in there. And um, obviously I did not get hit by a train because I'm talking to you. We're glad you but did. I, but I talk about that in the book and I, I don't want like, it, that's a great story. You can even read just, if anybody's listening to me, you can read that just for free on Amazon. If you go, what's inside this book? It like shows you the first story. That'll hook um, you right away, boys and girls. Cause that's what my heart was pounding. I was like, I know he's alive, but what the fuck happened, man? You know, yeah. so, so, so that yeah. was, probably, that's one of the scary most, Besides jumping out of an airplane, that's one of the most scariest moments I've had in my life. Then when I was doing the foot soldier thing, um, there were kind of two things, because remember, I'd never done these things before. One was crashing through the skylight and the windows, breaking into April O'Neil's apartment. I got to swing on a rope and I got to jump through the skylight and crash. And then the, jumping through the skylight, is the first time I was ever like a professional Hollywood stuntman doing this thing where they set up cardboard boxes. Mm -hmm. There was no air mat. You just no crash cardboard boxes. Yeah, you stack up two stacks of cardboard boxes and you put like a blanket over it. And then you just fall <laughs> into these things. And so I'm, my heart's beating. I'm like, I'm 22 years old or whatever, 21. I'm in super great shape. And the, and the main stunt guy, Tom DeWeer is there who just passed away this year, unfortunately. So Tom's right there and, and he's like, don't land on me. And he jumps through the thing <laughs> and he hits the thing and I jump through the boxes and I land right on Tom. <laughs> how, so, how far was that up? Oh, it's, I mean, I'm going to say it was 10 feet or more, but it, yeah. it was probably, yeah, it, it was probably 10 feet. Mm -hmm. But when you're standing up there, it looks like 15 oh, yeah. or 16. Yeah. Because of how high you're standing up. But yeah, I mean, it had to be a 10 or 12 foot drop. I don't know. I'd have to look. I got pictures of that. I got pictures of me falling through like in the air, just caught between the skylight and the pads. It's pretty what, cool. was, what was your thought, pro not thought process, excuse me. What was the thought that was going through your head? Obviously it wasn't don't land on Tom because you landed on Tom. Um, but what was your thought? Like, you're like, oh shit, this is what I'm doing now. Or what was going on in your mind? I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> Yeah, this was the culmination. Like, since I was 13 years old, I wanted to be an action hero in the movies. Mm -hmm. I got a film degree and I did everything I could my whole life, taking karate, taking acting lessons, doing everything. I went to college to get a film degree. And right out of college, I get hired to be a ninja and I'm being a ninja. And then I get to be a stunt ninja. And they're like, yeah, we want you to do nunchucks. And then we want you to fall through the skylight. We want you to crash through the window. And we want you to do all this stuff like right on camera. I was living my dream job months after graduating college with my degree. Everything was cracking like this. So the fact that I'm standing up there and there's breakaway candy glass there and there's boxes set up and I got a stunt man next to me and they're like, roll the camera. And Tom's like, don't land on me. I'm like, okay, get ready, action. Tom goes, boom, and then I go, boom, and I just ran right on his legs. But I sweat, and that's what I was thinking of after I thought how cool this is. And I was real, certainly nervous too, of course. Then I thought, I'm gonna hit Tom. <laughs> What did you do to come down? Because obviously your heart's racing, your adrenaline's pumping, you got all these endorphins and hormones going. Did Was there a, a like a break in between that scene? I'm, I'm sure it was to set something up. Or how did you come down from that? Uh, obviously not coming down from up top, but coming down just to relax after that scene. Oh, it's just one of many things that you keep going, you keep going. We did, I, we probably did it twice. I think I jumped to jump through the skylight twice. Mm -hmm. And they shot it with like two, two different cameras. So it looks like more things are happening. Yeah. Um, and then it was just that. I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Okay, moving on. Let's move on. I was like, go take a break. Man, that was cool. That was cool. And then like 20 minutes later, it's like, okay, let's go swing through the windows. Ready? Action. Go. Carson, oh, man, that was cool. How cool was that? That was awesome. Okay, 20 minutes later, it's time to go do this. Thing. Like, so it was just these little hops of all this stuff all day long. But again, 22 years old, top shape of my life, probably, you know, five to eight percent body fat i mean just ready to kill and so then living my dream i mean i was just walking ball of energy doing what god had intended me to do 
I mean, it, it's fantastic. Most people chase their entire life for a dream or a thought or something they want to do other than what they are currently doing now. And you did it right out of college, man. It just, when you sit there and think about that, what comes to your mind when you're like, shit, I was a Ninja Turtle. I did all of this stuff. I mean, what goes through your head now that you've, you know, progressed 30 years um, since, you, you know, you got your start? What goes through your head now? I wish the residual checks were bigger. <laughs> That's no, a fantastic I, look, I, This is, this is my life constantly, but it's not, I don't walk around. See, I always tell people, I see it differently. I, I was not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. Mm -hmm. I knew what they were, but I didn't know, as it says in my book, like I didn't know anything about yeah. characters or any, I didn't know who was who, anything like that. So I wasn't a Ninja Turtle fan. This, I didn't know this. this I was more of a Ken Scott trying to be an action hero fan. Yeah. And this was an opportunity that seemed to be something cool and whatever. So every step was super cool. Then once it was over, for me, my life just went on and it was like, all right, now I'm trying to be an actor. And I went and I did other films and I was in Showdown and then on and off Sworn of Justice and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I had my little B-movie martial arts, you know, career there. Um, and just time went on. But what happened is from the moment that I made Ninja Turtles, I was forever to be associated with that movie. And it's such a novelty and it's such a part of a bigger Ninja Turtle wave that the whole world knows about. Mm -hmm. through cartoons and toys and lunchboxes and things even just beyond those movies um to be a part of that is as far as the rest of the world is concerned is the most defining thing about me yeah. oh that ken was a ninja turtle which is super cool because every time a ninja turtle movie comes out or a cartoon there's people all over the world that turn to their friend and go hey i met a ninja turtle once this guy can, and hopefully it was good and hopefully we were cool, but it's like good energy to have out there. So I love that it's, that I get to be part of this perpetual thing, right? But what I really love is I love to see the fan world yeah. of the people who do of Ninja Turtles. People look at me, they, I won't say they wrongly, but they attribute to me the, the character of being Raphael. And I'm not, I'm one of many people that have played Raphael, both in the films after Josh and myself and Hosung Pak who did the stunts when I was the actor and then all the people who do the voices. We all kind of play those different parts, right? Yeah. But people, I've, people wanna cry, they break down in tears and they wanna hug. I've had people, can I get a hug? And they hug and they just wanna hang on and they're crying and they got tattoos and you've changed my life and this and that. And man, that is a beautiful thing to be a part of. And so having that and being able to talk to people and share stories and stuff like that, that's been like a blessing in my life. Well, that, that's fantastic. I, I love talking to you guys. And you're probably the first and only turtle <clears throat> from the 90s movies that I'll talk to. Because um, a lot of the guys, I don't know what it is. They just don't want to talk, um, you know, various reasons. I'm not going to bring up any names or anything like that. Um, but a lot of people are very worried about putting themselves out there. Um, a lot of people get chopped and edited and then stuff gets said that was out of context. And you know, so a lot of people tend to, you know, if it's somebody new like myself, um, they tend to like stay away until some time has passed or, you know, they go and see what I've done. Um, but I'm super happy that you really, you know, rolled the dice and you chose to talk to me, man, because like those people, this movie changed everything. If it wasn't for this movie, for this character that looked like this, the guy that you played, let me get that on the camera because I'm sitting here trying to follow the green dot. I mean, I could probably be into, I don't know, fuck Powerpuff Girls or, or, or My Little Pony or, you know, something that just doesn't have the same appeal, at least to me, like <laughs> the Turtles did. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you guys did something special. And there's a reason that these characters, in my opinion, you can count the first and the second one. The first one obviously beats out the second one um, by, by, a, by, a, by, a land, uh, by a landslide, really. Um, but, but when I really sit here and think about it, this movie changed fandom for me. I mean, it got me into the Turtles. Um, and it's so nice to meet somebody that had such a huge impact on me as a child. And now as an adult right? And then come to find out, 
you're a cool fucking guy, man. I mean, we've been sitting here talking for almost an hour. It's been fun. I haven't been stressed. Uh, you know, it's, it's been great. Um, when, when you really look at this movie and you, you think about all the stuff that you've done so far, um, if you could go back 30 years from now, would you do anything different or would you like to stay the course because you've enjoyed what you've done and where you've come from? No, I think the one thing I would have done different is when I was on the set of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, the, some people from Hong Kong were there and they invited me to go to Hong Kong and work on movies yeah. there. And I didn't, because I was so young and inexperienced, I didn't know how to truly consider that offer mm -hmm. and what it meant. And there was a lot of other circumstances. Everything I was doing was being successful. So I didn't feel like I needed to veer to my course some weird way. Now, in retrospect, I'm, I wish I had gone there. I think it would have been a great life experience no matter what happened. But yeah, I would, 30 years, I'd go back and I'd go, Ken, go to Hong Kong. <laughs> That's what well, I would do. I mean, thank you. Like I said, thank you for taking the time with me today. Um, we mentioned it in the beginning of the podcast, but I always like to mention it at the end, just in case people forget or they didn't write it down like I have to. Um, where can people go to find you? Um, where can they go to find your book and learn more about Ken Scott, the real Raphael? Go to turtleconfessions.com. And there is a website where there's pictures and videos and all kinds of talk and stuff about the movies and making the movies. And it's all free. It's all there. And there's links to get the book and the book's super cool. If you're really a fan of the movies, you should buy the book. Uh, you can certainly e-read it, but if you get the, uh, paperback edition it's got a super cool cover on it with a super cool feel and it's only 9.99 this uh, year because it's the 30th anniversary of the turtles otherwise it's 15 bucks one more time what low price was this book at ken it's 9.99 julian 9.99 you can't beat this price this book is worth 99.99 if you really want to get down to it man it's been a fun Almost hour talk, man. It's been great, man. I really appreciate you taking the time for me today. Um, he has been Ken Scott, Raphael. I have been Julian with at What's In My Head podcast. You can follow us down here anywhere. He's Ken. I'm Julian. We're out of time. Thank you, Ken, so much. And you have a great day and stay safe out there. Thank you. You too. No problem. Thank you. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.